I mean, this is this is what we've, we've dreamed of for 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 14 years, and it's here. This this is it. It's here. Yeah. I mean, it's not the final fulfillment of every dream we've ever had, but this you know this is a step on the way, and I mean, we're at it. We're there. We're on the way, and maybe we'll keep going farther from here. Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles fan podcast from CamdenChat.com. I am your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eatmore SK on Camden Chat. It is October the 6th, 2012, in the evening as we're recording this episode. Happy anniversary to my parents. Moving along from that, the Orioles, as you are all well aware, emerged victorious in their one-game wildcard playoff in the ballpark in Arlington against the Texas Rangers. And I am joined, as we promised we would be doing, by my podcasting partner in crime, Andrew Gibson. Andrew, how's it going? You know, that game wasn't even all that uh, close. After all of our uh, grousing about the pitching matchups, it, it just it went exactly how the Orioles planned it. Joe Saunders, who could have ever imagined Joe Saunders would be etching his name into the Birdland lore books with a five and two-thirds inning effort where he scattered six hits only gave up one run joe saunders man lots of double plays if you get what five double plays i thought he got three Uh, i think it was higher than three but whatever it was there were a number of them and yeah if you get that if you get a lot of double plays you're probably gonna win a baseball game and Andrew, I, can, I kind of jokingly said before the game started, even though I wasn't yep. feeling very confident, that uh, <laughs> Joe Saunders beating the Rangers in that game would be the most 2012 Orioles thing possible. So, And it was. It, it's exactly it really what was. happened. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about just the, the sheer improbability of everything. Uh, you know, sure, why not have Joe Saunders shut down the Rangers? And that's exactly what he did. And they scratched yeah. out runs against you, Darvish, and uh, got a couple insurance runs that ended up being pretty important off Joe Nathan. Important for my sanity, anyway, because... <laughs> yeah, it got a little tense there. The, the base is loaded with two down, of course, for Jim Johnson. And uh, I would have felt a lot worse if that was like a 3-1 to one lead instead of a 5-1 to one lead, because then I was at least sitting there like, okay... No matter what, even if he gives up a grand slam, at least the game's still tied. Yeah, Whereas right. if it was 3-1 to one with the bases loaded, I'd have been like, oh my god, one swing, and it's over. That's it. One swing, and it's all done. So we have the comparative advantage uh, of looking ahead to a five-game series where for at least two days, we don't have to think, okay, the Orioles have to win or go home, which will probably be better for my sanity. Yeah, and their home games, which is... Uh... Pretty nice little bonus. And of course, game one, yeah, game one and two will be at home. And uh, I paid $70 plus fees on StubHub for a standing room only ticket immediately after the last out last night. Because, well, it was there. real and I you, had to be there. Suddenly be there. I had to be there. Like, you know, I was, I was convincing myself through September that none of these games would actually be happening. And now at least two of them are happening. <laughs> And in fact, the Orioles are 11 wins away from winning the World Series. I am incredibly jealous of you. I, I always told myself if the Orioles 
ever got back to the playoffs, God willing, that uh, I would I would just I would have to be there for a home game because now we all know how rare and, and wonderful this sort of thing is. And here I am, and I can't go to the ALDS games. I can't do it. I'm I am too busy at work to do it. I will. That's the type. I will of hold down the fort for you, Andrew. Yeah. Well. Uh, I've I've been promised ALCS tickets if if they get that far. So only got to win three of the next five, then they're there. And uh, that's what they've been doing all year long. So no no big deal, right? Yeah, no pressure. Well, that's the thing. The Orioles have no pressure. They're not supposed to be here. So mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that sort of um, was a, a pretty good way of looking at the game last night, where the Orioles just looked loose and, and and focused and the rangers looked uh like they were squeezing the bats too much and and being over aggressive and playing right into joe saunders hand it was like saunders kept missing the strike zone a lot and then josh hamilton would come up there and ground into a double play on a curveball on the very first pitch he sees um let's talk about bailing him out i mean geez. right so you know, there there might be something to the Orioles just, you know, not overthinking it. Maybe they're they're a team with, I think, admittedly less talent than some of these other superstar laden teams like the Rangers or the Yankees, but they make it stand up. And I think the uh, the the attitude that you can perceive from them anyway has a lot to do with that. Most definitely, and it's fun. It's just fun to watch them. Yeah. And, I mean, even yeah. if they lose, or if they had lost, you couldn't be like, oh, man, the Orioles are such a bunch of chokers. I mean, you can't right. choke there's, when you've got there's... Nate McClaus playing left field, Joe Saunders as your one-game starting pitcher. You know, that's just yeah. like, okay, that's great that they made it. Of course they were overmatched. You can't choke when you're overmatched. Choking is Texas blowing, you know, five-game lead with nine to play or whatever, and then mm-hmm. just unceremoniously scrubbing out in front of their home fans in the one-game playoff. That's choking. Yeah, and it's fun to embrace the underdog role, and the, the Orioles have been underdogs all year. We've talked about it a lot, how it'd be really fun to watch them be that dominant team that you can bet on, but this this weird Orioles magic thing they have going on is kind of better. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to watch them where you have no idea what's going to happen and somehow it ends up being good most of the time. Yeah. It's just, who's it going to be? Like the song. Every game there's a different star. Who's it going to be? Exactly. Like the song. And I mean, you know, like last night, Friday night's game, you got... Brian Flaherty, the Rule 5 pick, couldn't sniff, the, you know, anything all year. Why was he even on the roster all year? You couldn't even figure it out sometimes. And then he gets uh, he gets the key hit in, uh, in the seventh inning. Pinch runner. The pinch runner ends up scoring, but wouldn't have been a pinch runner if Brian Flaherty hadn't gotten a solid base hit off Hugh Darvish. Chasing yeah. him from the game after Manny Machado bunted the pinch runner over to second, in fact. It's cool. It's fun. Yeah. You know, I I really thought it was going to be Dana Eaglin, the big hero, but I guess it wasn't to be. 
Well, Andrew, I was clearly wrong also because I thought the big hero would be Tommy Hunter, and he didn't appear in the game. Did he even get up to warm up? I'm not sure. I know Steve Johnson did in the first inning when it looked like the wheels were going to come off a little bit. But I I do not recall seeing Tommy Hunter at all in the game. Yeah, I don't even know if he warmed up. You're, You're exactly right. He was just out there. Yeah. Maybe he Although, was like sitting with his hands up in the air, like, uh, yeah. like in that Seattle game. Um, the the larger point we were making, though, really held true. Those middle innings really were pivotal. Yeah, it was just jokes on. The Orioles just held at one to one, and they couldn't really get anything going. And Starvish, who was really great, and Saunders just went out there and and did his thing. He didn't have any clean innings, but got him through there, and and then they could. Get Darvish out of the game and, and go on and, and it win. And it was time for the back end of the bullpen. Yeah. Yeah, and it was funny because playoff game, I'm a little nervous the whole time, kind of waiting for the shoe to fall. And then it, they have a lead and Darren O'Day's pitching and just it evaporates off of me. I am completely convinced at that point that it's over. It, the Rangers are done. Like it, it was really weird, Andrew, having just the confidence wash over me when Mattis came in to pitch to Josh Hamilton. Because it was like, okay, he's about to destroy him. Yeah, and he did. And he did. But it wasn't that the him you thought it was going to be. No. Well, I, Man, I thought Mattis would destroy just... Hamilton because Hamilton versus lefties, and he was just. You know, clearly, well, I don't want to say clearly, but it seems to me there was some mental issue with Hamilton there and he just I don't know some of those guys just didn't seem like they were it, yeah well they wanted to get to get it over with uh they they had a really rough uh end of their season and obviously momentum doesn't really mean much in in baseball lost in, seven, in reality lost 10 going into the playoffs yeah but you you have to wonder how much just them being their backs up against the wall where they didn't expect to be and, and you know, how tense they, they were as opposed to the Orioles who seemed, you know, loose and, and focused. Right, I mean, yeah. Texas was pretty much supposed to be inked in to get their third straight World Series. And, you know, they didn't even end up winning the division. But, I mean, you know, that doesn't take anything away from their season. That's a really, really, really good team. And uh, scored more runs than any other major league yeah, team. You know, they were probably obviously the the final records don't reflect it, but they were probably the most complete team in the American League and, and probably in all of baseball. And they won ninety three games. You know, that's a successful season and you know, there's there's too much talent on that team and in that front office to uh, to give up on them and think they won't be right back and, and ready to go next year yeah they'll figure it out just you know maybe they'll uh they'll actually play Yurikson Profar instead of Michael Young but I'm the point is just they got eliminated right away and that's kind of a a shock it's a shock even to me Um, too bad for them but it's not my problem but it, it doesn't mean like that's still a successful season just like if the Orioles don't keep going this has been such a good season for them in so many ways. Yeah, I guess you it's know, all about expectations. No you know, playoffs. the Orioles had no expectations. So. We're not 
we're not Yankee fans here. We are we're not Yankee we fans. To win in the playoffs or it's a travesty. Do you even know who I am? Yeah. I mean, that's that's not the attitude anybody should take about this. And it's the same in Atlanta. Even though, you know, obviously the conversation down there is a little different today. A little muddied. Is yeah. the uh, umpire situation, but whatever. We don't have to worry about a National League team for another couple weeks. That's true. If if we even need to end up doing that. I don't know. That'd be cool if we did. So looking, well, looking ahead think... a bit to the Yankee series, uh, one of the things we wanted to consider a little bit is, remember for the wild card game, there was a separate roster for that. So the Orioles had left off starters who were not going to be able to pitch off that roster, including... Jason Hamill, Wei Yin Chen, and Miguel Gonzalez, who will be starting in that order, uh, games one through three of the division series. Mm -hmm. So the question is going to be, who is going to get bounced that was in the bullpen or on the bench uh, from that wild card game roster to make it onto the division series roster? Well, uh, there was definitely a little dead weight on the roster for the wild card game. And so it's easy to find some sort of obvious candidates for, for bouncing. Yeah, the most obvious name to me is Zach Britton. Well, I, I was going to say Omar Quintanilla, but Zach Britton is definitely on the chopping block. Him or uh, Jake Arrieta, who is kind of one of a series of long relief possibilities between him and Steve Johnson and Tommy Hunter. And uh, now I, Joe Saunders or Chris Tillman can get thrown in that mix, too, now. For sure. Yeah. Uh, it, it's hard to find a scenario in your head for any three of those guys where they're needed in a way that means the Orioles aren't in already pretty serious trouble. Right. Like, like in all seriousness, Andrew... Yeah. And I don't know if anybody else out there has maybe more of an overactive imagination than me. What is Omar Quintanilla going to bring to the table for the division series? What is, uh, what? I don't understand. Like you have Ryan Flaherty, you have Robert Andino. Right. One of them's right-handed, one of them's left-handed. Both of them will play second base. Yeah, and and both of them can play other infield spots if need be. So much as I love making Omar come and y'all statements. You know. Boy, I'm glad you like that because I thought it was a little tired. You're a little tired. Yeah, well, so is your face. Uh, boy. Anyway, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have a, a place because he's there in case somebody gets hurt. And if somebody gets hurt, you can put him back on the roster anyway. Oh, can you change between games? If somebody gets hurt, yes. So that would only be like if someone gets hurt in the second inning. And then, oh my right. gosh, there's no Omar Quintanilla to replace him. But if somebody gets hurt in the second inning, you just put in Flaherty or Andino, whichever yeah. one's not. So, so there would have to be two injuries in the same game right. for Omar Quintanilla to become relevant. So it's, you know, he, he just doesn't have a spot on this roster, and that's primarily because he can't hit at all. Um, so... Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll take care of this roster for Buck and say uh, Omar Quintanilla, he's, he's got to go for, for Jason Hamill, um, who, I guess, uh, Zach Britton, 
how do you get Zach Britton into a game? Like, what does he do? Everybody has to be on the roster for a purpose. Right, and if you're talking why you want lefty matchups, you've already got Ryan Mattis and Troy Patton. And Mattis is even a good enough lefty that, you know, you can have him on for an inning where it's like lefty-righty-lefty, and you can trust him Mm -hmm. now at this point as a reliever to do. And Patton is too. Yeah, Patton is... uh, Patton is too. That's exactly right. So, you know, what, Zach Britton is third lefty. Do you need a third lefty in the bullpen? I don't. Well, I don't, here's the thing. Uh, the Yankees definitely have two big lefty sluggers that you want to make sure you can neutralize late and close in uh, Robinson Cano and Curtis Granderson. And, you know, if those guys come up twice, you can handle them twice. If they come up three times, yeah. They come up three times late and close. Uh, something horrible has happened anyway. Right. And you you don't need to plan for that, really. If it's extra innings, you've got some long guy in like Steve Johnson or Tommy Hunter. You don't take those guys out to play matchups suddenly. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, Zach Britton, we're sorry, but. Uh, okay. So so that's I don't, two. I don't think you're gonna make it. Three to get. Gonzalez back on the roster. Here, yeah. this is another tough one. Yeah. This is, you know, which reliever do you like the least, or which starter do you not want to see? Because you could say, well, Jake Arrieta just, you know, is going to be the last guy in the bullpen there. So we'll just we'll just slice him off. Unless you're deciding, well, what do you need a long man for in a five man a five game series? Mm-hmm. So then you'd say, well, Steve Johnson, sorry, son of Dave. Well, you you definitely should have somebody who can uh, sort of bite a bullet for you. If Wei and Chen gets blown up in the first inning and and just he can't pitch, you can't leave him in there. You need somebody to pitch the bulk of that game, even knowing that you're probably losing it. So maybe so that guy is Steve Johnson. Yeah. So then maybe uh, Joe Saunders, since he just pitched and he'll be tired for, you know, the first three games of the series anyway. But then that's kind of crappy to uh, have him pitch. <laughs> yeah, right. What was, what was, the, what was the, uh, the, the Elias Sports Bureau said? Joe Saunders is the first Orioles pitcher to win a winner-take-all game in franchise history. Because yeah. I guess every time there was a game five or game seven, uh, they lost. Which is kind of depressing. That's sad. Yeah. yeah. So in in the one game winner take all Joe Saunders became the first Orioles pitcher to win a winner take all game. So then you're going to bounce him. Yeah, that's 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 kind of a crappy thing to do to him. But a guy. I mean, on the other hand, Dan Duquette is the unsentimental GM and he uh he can manage to do that if and he could probably sell that. Maybe Well, well, here's the here's the question. Do you want who do you want pitching game 4? They haven't announced it. Uh, I would think it'd be Chris Tillman, but obviously Joe Saunders deserves to be in that conversation, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, this is a guy with playoff experience uh, who just showed what he can do and looked pretty good. So, you know, maybe you want him there just as an option, but then, you know, you can't keep Arietta and Johnson and Hunter and Saunders, and Tillman. That's crazy. Right. You can't keep five guys who all fill the same role. Guys got to get uh, 
got to get bounced there. So I don't uh, know. I don't know who they'll, they'll end up doing. So well, maybe you keep three of those guys, and then uh, I, I could also suggest uh, Lou Ford doesn't especially have a place on the roster. No. He's the right-handed outfielder, uh, and he's the he pinch run for Jim Tomei when Tomei's already on third base. You know, I mean, he doesn't. He what does he bring to the team? He 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 doesn't hit. He's not a a runner. He's not like a defensive player. They have Andy Chavez for that. He brings um, the guy who can tell them all what it was like to play in the independent league. I guess. Uh, I guess it, it. There's a larger point here that. The Orioles' bench is pretty awful. Um, Chavez is a defensive guy. Teagarden is a defensive guy. And you pretty much need to keep Teagarden around. Right, you got to have second catcher. Uh, Flaherty and Andino are defensive guys and, and pinch runners, basically. And then Lou Ford is, a, is something. Yeah, you hope he runs into one sort of guy, I suppose. Yeah, that is not like a, a bench that you're really using to help play matchups and things late. Right, um, that's an in case of emergencies break glass bench. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you're more likely to like slice open your palm and bleed everywhere than actually grip the implement mm-hmm. that could save you in the situation. Yeah, it's it's. The Yankees have like Raul Ibanez, who they can break out if he gets the split that he wants, if if he's facing the right pitcher. Right. Because he can run into one. We saw that against Boston. Yeah. Sure. Um, but there's really nobody that even that low of a bar. Raul Ibanez is kind of a one-trick pony. Um, there's nobody on the Orioles bench who can match even that. Nope. There is so, not. There's not anyone. Hopefully, hopefully, in this series, that weakness doesn't get super exposed. Because that would suck. Cross our fingers, Andrew. That's about yeah. all we can do. But, yeah, I, I would think you can find some spots for these starting pitchers in by taking uh, Omar Quintanilla off the bench and then some, some of these long guys. Yeah, Omar, Omar and Britain seem to be sure things, and then it's just a question of which other long man-ish guy do you not want to have out there? Yeah. And that sucks. Obviously, it's been a long year for, for all these guys, and they've all gone out there and put up some pretty special performances from time to time throughout the year. And it sucks that they won't get to play. I mean, yeah. but they can all feel like a part of the team, at least, because they can still travel with the team. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we, you saw, hang out uh, in the clubhouse. Brian Roberts was at the game Yeah, Mark Hakus and Roberts both were there. The snake so, Marcakis had like his his uh, his hand with the cast was like wrapped in plastic, and then he was just kind of like sadly trying to claw open a champagne bottle with one hand while he was like cradling it with his uh, with his arm that was broken. Boy. It wasn't working very well for him, but it was funny to see. When when is he supposed to come back? I think uh, if they make it to the World Series, he can come back. Maybe Championship Series. That's a little sad. Yeah. I mean, it is, because the... They could really use that extra bat. Definitely. Yeah. And I think um, that's kind of going to be the story of this series a little bit. At least at the outset, is is the Orioles lineup. And uh, they're going to need to scratch cross runs more than anything else. 
having Mark Gekas around would really help right now. Yeah, but they will have to do it without him. And, well, they got here without him for a good while, so... Yeah, that's true. Maybe they can do it for another over five games. You know, anything anything can happen. And maybe it'll be good. So we're about to take a short break here on Camden Cast. When we return, we will be joined by a previous podcast guest who you may remember the last time we talked about the Yankees. And we will... Uh, we will have some discussion about the relative strengths and weaknesses of the New York Yankees. And you can listen to that on the far side of this little message. We will be right back. You're listening to Camden Cast, the Baltimore Orioles fan podcast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. If you'd like to hear from us between episodes, you can follow us on Twitter. Andrew is at Gibson Andrew, and I am at EatMoreSK. S-S-K-A-Y, just like the hot dogs. And now, back to the show. And we are back on Camden Cast. You may remember, if you've been listening to this podcast for several months now, uh, back in... What month was that, Andrew? Was that July? I don't even know. I lost track. Uh, They all serve run together. Earlier in the season, we located perhaps the one Yankee fan in the world I do not hate, and we have brought her back to help us break down the division series. So she's from the SB Nation Yankees blog, which actually changed its name since the last time we talked to her. It's now pinstripedbible.com, but she did not change her name. She is Tanya Bondurant, and she's joining us again. So welcome back to Camden Cast, Tanya. Thank you for having me again. They didn't make you change your name? No, that wasn't in the contract. That's weird. Although they did start making her use her real name instead of a made-up name. That was before I talked to you guys last okay, time. Okay, that's right. So I don't know I don't know what I would do if I had to abandon Eatmore SK personally. I would be very distraught. Yeah, I mean, having to use your actual name must I'm, just be the worst. I mean, you all know I'm Mark, but I don't like to post as Mark. I don't know if that makes any sense. It cleared up a lot of gender confusion. Uh, I guess so there's that. I guess that would be one advantage for you. What was your nom de plume? Can we just not? Okay. Can can we just not? We won't. We was won't. it really embarrassing? It, I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> can we just not? Now I need to know. <laughs> no. Okay. You could you could have just made something up that wasn't true, and I would have just bothered and let you alone. I can't think that fast. Okay. But what we can do is we can ask Tanya how you're feeling just in general about this uh, this upcoming series. So I seem to recall last time we were both, uh, we were all three of us not really particularly confident in our respective baseball teams. Was it, Raul, you're so cool, 32? <laughs> I bet it was. Yes, it was. Stacy Long on Camden Chat used to be Javi Licious for Javi Lopez. Yeah. I might get banned for bringing that up, actually, but that was a, you know that one's pretty up there. That still makes me smile. Yeah. I mean, just imagine like there was a time where people were excited about Javi Lopez on the Orioles. I was excited was, about. He Javi was really Lopez. good. He hit a home run in his first at bat. Okay, seriously. Right. So the Yankees, Tanya, how are you feeling about the Yankees? I'm always and, nervous. And their chances in this. <laughs> so you're in you're in good company here because we're always nervous too. I'm always nervous. I think that anybody who says that they're not nervous is just delusional. 
So what makes what makes a Yankee fan nervous at the prospect of facing the Orioles in a five-game series where the first two games are on the road for Yankees? Magic. Magic. I mean, the fact that the Orioles have done so well kind of against a lot of explanation, I mean, there's no sense that that's going to just stop. And so I'm nervous. Of course, the Yankees have also done very well. Yes, they have. I mean, they even fact did better than the Orioles. I, I get into this problem with uh, my girlfriend's father all the time, who is a Yankees fan. Andrew's and, girlfriend is also a Yankees fan. Right. And they're all very nice people. But, like, he will always argue with me that the Yankees are really terrible and that if only they could be more like the Orioles. And I would keep telling him, like, the Yankees, they finished with a better record than the Orioles. Like, what are you complaining about? Like, uh, you're scared of the Orioles. That's that's cool. Why shouldn't we be scared of the Yankees? Well, I think that for me, it's just easier to say that I'm nervous and not, you know, be that fan that's like, yeah, we're going to sweep them. Yeah. 27 rings. rings. <laughs> that's totally what I picture all of those uh, bleacher creatures out there saying. In exactly that tone and everything. Um, yeah. It's like a coping mechanism that I can be pleasantly surprised but not completely let down, I guess. Not that I don't think the Yankees are good, because I do, obviously, but I'm just not going to be that fan. I can love the Yankees, but I can be rational about them. Which is what makes okay. you unique among Yankees fans, at least in my own experience. It doesn't actually make you unique, but it does make you very nice and good, and that's why you're here. Ruining all my narratives. Come on. I'm sorry. I've met many Yankee fans, and very few of them are actually horrible people. (sighs) My world has been destroyed. Yeah. Well. I have a reputation here, Andrew. Okay. I'm sorry. But let's 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 actually talk about baseball now that we're 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 having a good time here. So, so see, you, if, if I can get along with a Yankees fan, world peace is possible. I guess that's the moral of this. If I can do it, you can do it. We're, yeah, we're going Rocky Four on you right here. Yeah. But uh, So let's look ahead to the series, and particularly, I guess, the interesting things to, uh, to easily look at is going to be the pitching matchups. So game one, the Yankees will have their ace... Does he count as an ace this year? I don't know. CC Sabathia is going in game one. He's he's definitely their best pitcher. Absolutely. He will be pitching against Jason Hamill, returning from his eighth little knee injury thing of the year. So, what uh, what has Sabathia looked like for say the last month? Should we should we fear the Sabathia? Well, I fear everything, um... but. What would a rational person say about Sabathia? Which I'm obviously not. He had arm trouble a little earlier. And I think when he came back from that, he was a little rusty. Um, But his past few times have been good. Um, I think a lot of people would say that he hasn't had 
a very CC season. But, you know, he's still completely capable of going out there and throwing eight innings of one to two run ball. And that's really what you expect of an ace. So So it's interesting that you would say he hasn't had a very CC-like season because, or people would say that because his ERA is not notably worse than any of the three previous seasons he was on the Yankees. And in fact, he has the highest strikeout rate and lowest walk rate in any of his Yankees series. Oh right, yes. The magical wins. Has he? Um, has he won 19, 21, and 19? And this year he only won 15. But he started five or six fewer games, while still throwing 200 innings. But somehow yes. that's disappointing to some people, I guess. To some people, yes. Are you one of those people? No. That's good. We don't have to mock you, which is good. Don't don't have to mock you about that anyway. So Sabathia, despite having arm problems, apparently still threw 200 innings. Um, that's pretty good for him. It's right. a little bit of a letdown when you're used to seeing him throw 230 games. Yeah. But he only started 28 games, whereas he started 33 and 34 the last few years. Yeah, he uh, had arm trouble twice. It does look like all of his velocity numbers are a little down on my Fangraphs chart for him. So I guess that could be a factor. Not that we want to freak out about velocity. Andrew might be twitching over there. Just, just the fact yeah, that I because... said the V word, he's like, you know, Brian Mattis was just lost forever and had no shot at ever being anything. God. And so did Chris Tillman. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Sabathia's velocity is a little down, and that means something, but let's continue. You know, that that's my problem with velocity. I, I am twitching, but only because that's not enough information. to, to you got to keep going. Velocity is just one piece of the puzzle he did give up more home runs which maybe was bad luck or maybe was something was more hittable about his pitches because his uh his career percentage of fly balls for home runs was 8.8 percent and this year he had 12.5 percent so one in every eight fly balls was a home run off sabathia this year I think, I mean, I don't have anything to definitely back this up, but I think a lot of that was at the beginning of the season when every Yankee starter was giving up, like, three home runs a start. Um, but that seems to have kind of regressed again. All right. I will buy that. Home runs aren't so fun when they're being hit against your favorite team as opposed to for your favorite team. So, Sabathia, I would say, has the edge on paper there. Hamill... I don't know. Andrew, what do you think we're going to get from Hamill? It, um, it's so well, hard to predict because I don't know if when he's well. He, when he's pitched, he's been really good. Sinker slider. Uh, even when he came back from his first knee injury, his first game, he was really good. He had a short leash. And I obviously, it's the playoffs. Everybody has a short leash anyway. Um, but his only problem this year is he's gotten hurt. So if he can stay on the field... I suspect he'll be really good. So he hasn't had a really brilliant start since going back to June the 22nd against the Nationals, where he had uh, pitched eight innings and had no earned runs, 10 strikeouts. And he had a couple decent ones in early July, where he gave up a few earned runs but made it six and two-thirds innings. And then against the Yankees, he went five innings and gave up only one run, which is, well, that'll play in the playoffs, because it's not like you've got to worry about it. I mean, that's exactly what... 
the Orioles need. Yeah, it's not like you got to worry Get about your saving your bullpen in a five-game series with an off day exactly. in the middle. Exactly. All hands on deck every game, more or less. But, you know, I don't know how healed he is. He says he's fine, but he always says he's fine. Every baseball well, player says they're fine. He was definitely in the the celebration, the champagne celebration. Everybody uh, was in the celebration, Andrew. Wait, try saying that five times fast. Champagne, champagne celebration. Champagne wishes and caviar dreams. No. Ah, oh, but I saw the video. He was there. He was running. He was jumping up and down. He looked fine. And and he said he's thrown a couple bullpens and he 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 feels great. So. As far as I'm concerned, it's a non-factor. Yeah, okay. So we're going to war with Jason Hamill. Yeah. That's a thing that's happening. Is that um, less weird than Joe Saunders? I'm going to say less. Way less. Way less. Speaking of Wei, the Orioles' yeah. starter in Game 2 is Wei Yin Chen. We did it. Way to go. Way to go. Look at that. We got it. I wish I had a rim shot to, to stick in on here. or some kind of clapping sound. Anyway, did I really just do that? Yes, I did. The Yankee starter is Andy Pettit, the veteran. He's, like, beyond veteran. He's transcended mere veteran status. He's Now he's in Roger Clemens' territory. He's No! No! Uh-oh. Too easy. No. Too easy. Uh-oh. But he, uh, he didn't throw a ton of games for the Yankees this year, but he made 12 starts, and he had a sub-3 ERA, so that's Andy Pettit. And tough lefty. That's two tough lefties in a row. Yeah, that's that's so that's, uh, that's bad for a team that relies on lefties like Nate McLeod and Chris Davis, who's especially bad against lefties, and Jim Tomey. Bad sign for the first mm-hmm. two games. But Andy Pettit, he uh, he made 12 starts, 75 and a third innings, had a 2.87 ERA, and uh, well, FIP liked him slightly less, but I don't. Care well, FIP. the question is. Uh, how has he looked since he came back from his broken ankle? He's looked good to me. Um, I mean, he hasn't faced really stiff competition. His, uh, uh, his three starts in September, two against Toronto and one against Minnesota. So. <laughs> so all right. Um, so, but I mean, he's, He's looked fine. I mean, he hasn't been hit particularly hard um, in those starts. Mm-hmm. He kind of looked like he did before he went on the well, disabled list. So I guess that's, yeah. that's the best you can hope for. Um, is there anybody in like the last, let's say, 20 years that you'd rather have on the mound in a postseason game than Andy Pettit? Because he's really been kind of uh, the guy for the Yankees for a long time now. Yeah. What? Um, no, not really. Yeah. I know what well, your answer to that question would be, Andrew. Well, sure. Who also pitched for the Yankees, as it turns out. Yeah. Although he never got to have postseason heroics for them. Well, you know, that's the nature of the postseason. We can't all be winners. No. Nah. Although Ron Washington says he's a winner, even though he lost. I don't, for anybody who didn't watch we his press conference, somebody, somebody asked him something, and he was like, we're all winners, and I'm a winner. And I was like, that's great, but you weren't tonight. That's too bad. So sad. I don't actually feel bad for Ron Washington now. But anyway, Andy Pettit clearly is a winner, mm-hmm. although he only won five of his 12 starts this year. So 
Maybe. Uh, whatever that even means. What does that even mean? I don't know. The only one. That's There's so many words in there that don't make any sense. So uh, he also got a fair number of strikeouts, 69 strikeouts in his 75 and a third innings, which you never feel good about the Orioles against a strikeout heavy pitcher. But no. They beat you, Darvish, so maybe they can beat Andy Pettit. After beating CC Sabathia, oof, see, here's where we get a little tough. But, uh, well, I mean, that's, yeah, the, that's it, the crafty it, lefty matchup right there, Chen versus Pettit. It's going to be very difficult for the Orioles to win both of their home games because it's, I mean, you couldn't come up with two harder left-handed pitchers for them. Or maybe you could, but not on the same team, I don't think. Um, and backed up by a pretty good Yankee lineup. A little bit pretty good Yankee lineup, yeah. Yeah, so that's it's it's tough. That's a tough matchup. Not that they can't do it, just it's going to be a battle. Now, we all have ingrained in our heads that from the last several years that the Orioles are awful against left-handed pitchers. Like, for instance, last year they had a 20-27 and 27 record, and the year mm-hmm. before that it was 18-33. and 33. But this year the Orioles were actually 26 and 18 in games started by lefties. So that uh, that dog don't hunt this year. Well, but yeah. Sabathia and Pettit are probably better than a lot of the lefties they yeah. faced this year. Absolutely, that's the only point I was going to make. I don't know that I could pick a random crappy lefty out of a hat just off the top of my head, but there, <laughs> I'm sure there was there was at least one that they faced, and that's you know contributed. Uh, I I really don't know why I can't. I'm I'm failing. I'm a failure as a podcast host, and I am sorry to all of you out there. But let's move along to Game 3. Don't dwell on our failures. Just as the Orioles don't dwell on their failures. They just go back and uh, go for it tomorrow. And Game 3 will be probably the unsung hero of the Orioles pitching staff. Absolutely. Miguel Gonzalez going up against uh, Hiroki Kuroda, who's you know also had himself a pretty good season. So that's another tough pitcher. Right in the line. Yeah. yeah. Kuroda is a righty rather than a lefty, but mm-hmm. he uh, he threw 219 and two-thirds innings and had a 332 ERA, so that's pretty good. Yeah. The Yankees are really well built with their with their top three starting pitching for, for a playoff series. Um, last year in game three, we started Freddy Garcia. For example. Just... <laughs> Not so this year it's Corretta. Yeah. It's a lot better. But Freddie Garcia sucked less last year, so that was less terrifying. He's still Freddie Garcia. That's true. So how did he do in that game three last year, Freddie Garcia? I think I've tried to block it out. That's fair. I can appreciate. So uh, so Corotta, much better than Garcia. What's uh, What has your, your Hiroki Corotta experience been this year? Corona's been great. He's probably been our best pitcher all season. Um, I think he's getting a little tired, and so that's why he's starting game three and not game two, because they thought that giving him the extra day versus not giving Andy an extra day was the better move, Um, because he's thrown a lot of innings for him. Is Is it mostly or just that? As opposed to, uh, like, I know uh, Joe Torre used to have a thing about Game 3s of series being pivotal. 
So we'd always have uh, probably Pettit actually going in Game 3. Andy is the usual Game 3 guy. Um, But the reasoning that we were told was that they felt like it was more important to have Andy on less rest and Coretta on more rest than the other way around. Huh? Makes sense to me. And Kuroda, in his uh, in his four year, well, this is his fifth major league year. This is the most innings he's ever thrown. Yeah. So, that's a thing, and that could be a thing. Obviously, the <laughs> Orioles the Orioles have the same kind of concerns about Chen, for instance. Um, he's you know he needs extra rest between his starts. It seems like, and he did he would be able to get that because what did he pitch last uh, Tuesday, Monday, and uh... he would pitch. This Monday? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's that's an extra day beyond the normal starter rest, which is good for 10. And, uh, well, I guess Kuroda needs that extra day, too. So we'll we'll find out if he's the uh, the Yankee, the true Yankee Game 3 guy or whatever, right? Right. Yes. Yes. And, uh, well, I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see, I guess. We are going to take another short break here on Camden Cast. Tanya will be back with us when we are back. Right after this, we will talk the last bit of the rotation we know about, and uh, and then Andrew and I will possibly start crying as we look at the Yankee lineup in great detail. But you will have to see if that really happens right after this short message on Camden Cast. You're listening to Camden Cast, the Baltimore Orioles fan podcast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. If you want to hear more from us between episodes, you should also make sure to check out the website, camdenchat.com, where you'll find discussion on all the latest Orioles happenings and sometimes just random whatever is going on. Check out our Facebook page and give us a like. It's facebook.com slash camdenchat. And you can subscribe to this podcast if you search for us on iTunes with Camden Cast. And now, back to the show. And we are back on Camden Cast again. It is Mark and Andrew, and we are still being joined by Tanya Bondurant from pinstripebible.com. So we're just going to pick right up where we left off with should it become necessary if the Orioles are not swept or do not sweep the Yankees. Game four which will be in Yankee Stadium. Uh, the Yankee starter for that game is already known. That will be Phil Hughes, and we don't really know who the Orioles starter will be yet. It hasn't been announced, and if uh, if they want to be mysterious, they might not announce it until Tuesday or something. Do you want to do you want to say who you hope it is? Well, I know who you hope it is. Yeah. Who do you hope it is? <laughs> Maybe you don't know. What, did you change your answer in the last thirty minutes? Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Okay, well, tell me. Anyway, tell us. <laughs> tell the world. Chris Tillman. I wanted to be Chris Tillman. That was his answer already, so Andrew was yeah. just pulling my leg. I've, well, who, who do you want it to I've be? I've been destroyed. I don't know. I guess I wanted to be Chris Tillman. Although, Joe Saunders. giving up three home runs in his last start of the regular season didn't make me feel well, great. It, it's game four. Game, uh, you know. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, otherwise, what? Joe Saunders? I don't want it to be Joe Saunders. Steve Johnson? Joe, Joe Saunders against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium is really asking for trouble. I know starting him against the Rangers was asking for trouble, but 
that that would be really like touching the hot iron twice. Yes. Yeah. So we're being rude hosts here, Andrew. We've we've excluded our guest. Tanya, who do you hope is the Orioles starter? Pedro Strope. <laughs> Pedro Strope. Brilliant. Yeah, that's a good answer. Where is Dana Evelyn? He could come back and do it. That would be possibly even worse than Pedro Strope. I don't know. <laughs> but what about Phil Hughes? Tell us about Phil Hughes and the, this saga he's had this year, if there was a saga. I don't know. What was this year like? It has been up and down. I mean, he hasn't been great, but for what he is this season, you kind of have to take it. Um, I always say that I never feel good about a Phil Hughes start. I never go into it thinking that he's going to shut down the opposition or anything, but um, there have been times when he has done just that, and then there have been times when he has done the exact opposite of that. So it's kind of a mixed bag with him. What is like the story, like the, the multi-year arc for Phil Hughes where he came up, I know he was throwing a no hitter against the Rangers and hurt his hamstring. Mm-hmm. And then like he came back and struggled and then found like he was really, really good as a reliever, a shutdown mm-hmm. reliever in the playoffs a couple of years ago. And then they moved him back to the rotation, and it's been kind of a struggle mm-hmm. at times. Like, is this a case of sort of the the Jabba Chamberlain thing all over again, where the Yankees kind of overthought it, in your opinion, or is it just kind of an interesting roller coaster ride of a career, or or what? Phil Hughes in the minor leagues was amazing, so I'm not sure that I can say that they overthought it so much as he's just never found that since he's come out of the bullpen and into the starting rotation except for maybe a month or two at the beginning of 2010 Um, but even then he was getting so much run support and it's kind of hard to say what he would have done without that Mm -hmm. Um, yeah he definitely knows how to win games winning 16 games this year yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's absurd. I hope you all heard the dripping sarcasm there in uh, my voice. I don't want anyone to think I'm stupid. Well, you're just you're giving me the shakes. Mark. If I'm stupid, it's not because of pitcher wins. Let's put it Except that way. Except that's the excuse people will give you for like why the Yankees should keep hyping him up. Like, oh, he knows how to win. Well, what, Nova what can knows you say? how to win until you say? he doesn't. What can you say to that? I don't even know how to argue with people like that. Are, were there any other like serious options besides Phil Hughes for Game Four? Um, David besides Phelps? like, yeah, uh, David Phelps, boy. Yeah, but you like David Phelps, right? Uh, yes, I do. I like him a lot. But do you like him better than Phil Hughes? No. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> there That's you go. settled. That's settled. That was easy. So here's the thing about Phil Hughes. He's given up 35 home runs this year. Yeah, that's dangerous. That's the second most home runs surrendered. In all of baseball, I believe. Only Irvin Santana was greater. And uh, Hughes had the second highest home run per nine inning rate because the tied person was Jason Vargas, who threw like 25 more innings. So that's, uh, you know, when you're giving up a home run about every six innings or even less than every six innings, 
and you're going to pitch in a playoff game and probably pitch for five to six innings, your your percentages is you're going to give up a home run, which bad. It's probably bad. But and against a home run hitting against team, a home run hitting team like the Orioles with in a home run hitting ballpark with you know Adam Jones and Chris Davis with 32 and 33 home runs respectively. Respect, yeah. Respectively, I can talk. It's good. Um, that's you know that's a bad combo for Hughes, but then again, Chris Tillman can give up a lot of home runs too if he pitches. So maybe it'll be a home run fest if there's even a game four. Who knows? I sure don't. So let's talk about some of the the other players on the Yankees to fear because not only is there the pitchers and we haven't even touched the bullpen, which maybe we will, but that lineup, I am afraid of any names in that lineup. <laughs> I'm afraid of a lot of things though. I guess maybe you could say I'm a scaredy cat. But... Yeah, you got the uh, agoraphobia, uh, uh, agoraphobia going. Omnophobia? What what is the fear of everything? I don't, I don't know. think it's agoraphobia. Boy, I can talk. Agoraphobia too. is like fear of people. Open, open spaces. Yeah, whatever. Here's another. We've we've stumbled onto some failure again. But one yeah. person who's not a failure is Robinson Cano. He is not. No failure for him. Uh, Especially not lately. On the season, he batted 313 with a 379 on base percentage, 550 slugging percentage. So that's pretty good. His 33 <laughs> home runs also pretty good. Career high. Is that right? It is. Well, there you go. He gets decent-ish to good-ish numbers uh, on defense in the field, playing second base, so that's a pretty crucial position to anchor there. And, uh, well, he's a lefty masher, and the Royals will be having some righties uh, throwing to him in this series out of necessity. Thank goodness. So, I mean, that's that's something to make you a little nervous. Definitely one of your critical matchups. And, you know, you're really going to sure. be counting on, and if there's a close game late, you're going to be counting on Troy Patton or Brian Mattis to shut down, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that Mattis obliterated Josh Hamilton. Total domination. He's literally left his Texas Rangers career smeared. Like the giblets just sprayed all over the crowd as they were booing. That's basically what Brian Mattis did to Josh Hamilton. Boy, you're really going for the gore. I know it's week. carried on. It's carried over from uh, from Thursday. I don't know. I it's guess really I, horrifying. I have image. not gotten out of the gotten out of that mood. I don't know. So, but, but on top well, of Cano, they're also yeah. going to have to contend with, say, Curtis Granderson. Yeah, another lefty masher. Who apparently Tanya tells me some Yankee fans kind of revile, which oh, really, yeah. really, yeah. it shocks yeah. me. Um, I've heard... <laughs> would they rather have Lou Ford? Oh no! Because we can trade. I think I think we could make that work. Yeah. Um, Granderson is kind of. I can't even think of a good comparison, but um, he's kind of this year's. He's good, but you wouldn't know it because he's the whipping boy, boy, of the team. Well, I guess you would have to have a good baseball team to have that whipping boy. So uh, Orioles fans aren't going to be familiar with that so much. I mean, he he hit what was it, forty three home runs, and drove in one hundred and six, which is usually enough to make people who don't understand things happy. <laughs> but um, I love that exasperation. That's great. 
It's not because the strikeouts. Oh, the strikeouts. So Granderson struck out 195 times in yeah, his plate appearances this year. So that's uh, that's a lot of strikeouts. Yeah. But it doesn't take away from the fact that he hit 43 home runs. But Nobody on the Orioles struck out 195 times, for instance. The leader was Chris Davis, 169. They want to trade him and let Chris Dickerson take over. Chris Dickerson? Yeah. Really? Really? Who played in like 20 games or less? Yes. Suddenly they all love Chris Dickerson. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm afraid of Granderson, even if Yankee fans... Some Yankee fans don't like him. But I guess you can see where he encountered some difficulty this year because his batting average was down a bit. Yeah. And uh, accordingly, so was his on-base percentage and slugging percentage. Plus, on defense, by DRS, he was minus 10 runs in center field. Yeah, uh, the advanced metrics have not liked Granderson for some time now. And I understand it. Um when he gets a read on a fly ball, his first step is in, even if it's over his head. And that leads to a lot of things getting down that if he was playing, he plays shallow and he still steps forward. Um, if he would play normal, he could maybe afford that step, but he doesn't. That's, a, well, it kind of, it's, that, that's like a cardinal rule. Does it count as getting a read on a fly ball if your first step is the wrong way? I don't, okay, I don't think whatever. you've read it at that point. That's like, you think you've bought a book in English and it's in like Portuguese. And you don't realize till page 50. Right. Somehow. Yeah. Somehow you don't, I don't know. But yeah, I, I understand why. And all sales were final. So you can't take that book back to that used bookshop either. But Curtis Granderson, 43 home runs. You gotta, gotta respect that. And, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that is the type of power that can really swing a short series. So it'll, it'll be critical to shut him down to go along with Cano. So just um, for instance, talking about your home run percentage out of your total fly balls, roughly one in every four fly balls hit by Curtis Granderson was a home run this year. So Scary thought. Yeah. That's a little silly. And, his, and he hit a fly ball 44% of the time that he made contact. So... You know, that's a lot of home runs. That's 43 home runs over. He played in 160 games. But he's yeah. he's uh, he's pretty bad in center field, relatively speaking. And uh, I guess if he's not hitting home runs, he's frustrating you, which sounds pretty familiar for Orioles fans, I guess. That's pretty Mark Reynolds and Chris Davis. And <laughs> well, most of the lineup really frustrates you if they're not hitting home runs. I, yeah, it, I, I can totally get how people will watch those guys and get really frustrated with them. Um, you know, I've talked to people who still just do not believe Mark Reynolds is a good hitter. Mark the um, toe Reynolds, as Jim Palmer was trying to call him towards the tail end of the season. Uh, I'm going to pass on that one. Not a fan of the toe? No. The dueling, um, the dueling nicknames in Baltimore for Mark Reynolds are... Some talk radio host calls him the sheriff of Swaddingham. We're just the sheriff. And then Chris Davis is the deputy. I personally am not a <laughs> that's, fan. That's 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 something. Yeah. That that is definitely a thing. Then on Camden Chat we called him the rapper from Reynolds Rap, which I uh-huh. personally am a fan. I yeah, I like that one. Yeah. 
It's good. So Mark Reynolds is that kind of player, I guess. Uh, yeah. It isn't everybody, though. But the Yankees have some other fearsome hitters. Like who? Derek Jeter's been pretty fearsome this year, as absurd as that is for me to say. Lots of ground balls. Uh, I'm not sure there's any hitter who hits more ground balls than Derek Jeter, which is one of those things that's really unintuitive because we talk about sinker ball pitchers a lot and how valuable they are, but uh, ground balls actually go for hits more often than fly balls. It's a lot easier to field a fly ball than a ground ball. That makes sense. you got more time to react to the fly ball as long as it's not a home run. Yeah, and uh, you know, Jeter's put a, a enough ground balls for hits that – it's working out for him this year. He finds a way to hit them where they ain't. Every year, I keep uh, thinking it's it's his last year of being any good at all, and then he just does it again next year. So. Well, last year he actually took a step back a little. With his, his last year's number was 297 with a 355 on base, 388 slugging. So then you're like, well, if his if his famous luck is starting to run out, that's pretty bad. But then he's He's rebounded, and this year he batted over 300 with a 316 batting average, 362 on base percentage, 429 slugging percentage. So that will play. That doesn't suck. No, it doesn't. I mean, if you want to talk about luck, you want to mm. go to the batting average on balls in play thing. His career, Don't call it luck. In his career, he he has a 354 average on batting average on balls in play, which is pretty ridiculous. Tanya, do you think that's luck? Um, I don't know. I don't think that it's all luck, but I don't think that it's... Well, there's nothing that's totally luckless. It's easy to call it luck, but in truth, it's probably a skill that is very unique to Derek Cheater, the baseball player. And excuse me while I go vomit, having admitted that. Uh, please continue the conversation without me. No, I'm not really going to vomit. I just uh, need to say that out there. I don't. But he, uh, he know he has the. I don't know. What do you want to call it? Bat control is probably the skill there. He just. Uh, well, he, he can doink the pitch. Yeah, like he's, he's mastered that that taking the pitch the other way, which is is not something for extra base hits. It's just something that's hard to defend. And very clearly, it is a skill that is not common because if everyone could do that. Everyone would do that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. So That's how you get to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. I suppose. He's uh, he's he's moving in on that Pete Rose hit record, Andrew, right? Can you? Uh, Maybe not so much. Nah. But here's the thing about Derek Jeter, uh, talking about defensive runs saved. He's the worst shortstop in, in the major leagues for that. And has been. With a minus 18 runs this year. Story checks out. And J.J. Hardy, I think, was the second or third best mm-hmm. on defensive run save for short stops. <laughs> he was behind uh, Brandon Ryan, Brendan Ryan, some Brendan Ryan, Brandon yeah. Ryan, who was phenomenal. Yeah, gonna almost certainly going to win a Fielding Bible. But he probably almost certainly should club. win a Gold Glove. Yeah. But I'm I'm guessing Hardy's going to win the Gold Glove, which wouldn't be an eg- egregious mistake. Just. Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, well, it's not like it, giving a gold glove to I don't know Adam right. Jones, Derek Cheater. I didn't want to say it, but that's what I was thinking. Yeah, Ex- exactly. But 
Yeah, Brendan Ryan's so good. He deserves something. something well, Brett Gardner was too, and he didn't get it. Yeah, wow. I mean, and that that's the same sort of shame. So all this, and we haven't even talked about, like, Mark Teixeira. Yeah, what's the deal with Mark Teixeira? Does he suck? Yes. Maybe <laughs> not at baseball. I'm voting yes also. Um, he doesn't suck. Uh, oh, um, we're not talking so about on the baseball field right here, okay? We're just, you know, this is just our visceral Mark Teixeira reaction. We can't stop it. Yeah. Okay. But also, what's, what's his deal? Because like he's been hurt, and then he came back, and like the couple swings I've seen him take haven't looked great. Uh, I know he's a switch hitter, obviously. So is it just like one side that's giving him trouble, or what's up? In the first game back from re-injuring his calf in the Baltimore game, mm-hmm. he hit a home run, and it was pretty fantastic, but it was also Alfredo Seves, so <coughs> tempered expectations on that. Um, and then in the next game, he proceeded to hit into two double plays and looked awful at the plate, so I don't really know what to expect from him. Um, he says that the calf is better. I hope that it is, but I mean... He's slow, so if he's not hitting a home run, mm-hmm. he's not doing much. But you, and, uh, I'm sure he will get a nice warm reaction from the uh, the hometown Baltimore crowd in the first two games. That maybe will uh, spur him on to great things. Or something. Or something like that. Yeah. Um, he gets shifted a lot. Yeah. So uh, I know like he is sort of Deadpool and... Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of talk about, hey, why can't Mark Teixeira just take one the other way every once in a while? Um, what are your reactions to that sort of talk? I mean, Tex came into spring training saying that he was going to bunt to stop the shift. How many how many bunts do you think he's got? If we set the over-under at like two and a half? I would probably take the under. Yeah. Um... And I just thought that was ridiculous. And, I mean, yeah, it kind of sucks that he will ground into shallow right field all the time. But I think that if he could go the other way, he would. But something in his swing just, it it doesn't happen. And it's frustrating, but you kind of have to live with it, I guess. For better or worse. He still hit 24 home runs this year. Only played in 123 games, so I mean that doesn't suck. Yeah, he dealt with a lot of different injuries this year, too. Walk rate over 10%, that doesn't suck. I wish the Orioles had guys with walk rate over 10%. The whole team just kind of had an injury at some point or another. Yeah, it kind of sounds like, like even Sabathia got hurt. Andy... Yeah. Um, A-Rod was out with a broken hand. A-Rod, we haven't even time. mentioned his name like one time on this podcast up until now. He's so. more of a supporting player. So, you know, can't mention everybody. No, I guess not. That's A-Rod for you. Whatever. Weird times. Weird times, man. Well, I think we all knew that already because here we are on an Orioles podcast for the playoffs. How about that? Heady days. 
through, through the looking glass, as they say. So it's getting about time where we need to wind down our our shenanigans. Yeah. So let's close it out. And we haven't discussed this at all, so I'm going to put my my companions this evening on the spot. Let's lay out prediction for the series, as in who wins and how many games it takes. So oh, I will hit, I will hit Andrew with that first. Uh, I think this is this series is definitely going five games, and um, I think the Orioles are going to emerge victorious, some way somehow, just like they've done all year long. Um, but it's going to be hard. It, it, it's not going to be uh, like the game in Texas that you know they just sort of cruised along and executed their exact game plan and it worked out. Uh, there's definitely going to be moments of me swearing and kicking something. Well, as long as you don't kick any cute animals, or uncute animals for that matter. That's that's a good point. Yeah. And uh, and also make sure to drink responsibly. I'm definitely going to be drinking. Yeah, that was the only way I could handle that Rangers game. I really uh, I bought a six-pack of Natty Bo Tall Boys, and I just started <laughs> drinking when the game started, and uh, I stopped drinking when the game stopped. That's probably what I'm going to do on Monday as well. But for Sunday, I will be in the stadium and not drinking expensive beer. But that is a terrific Baltimore story, Mark. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So, uh, so Tanya, Yankees fan, what is your prediction for the series for who wins and how many games? I will say Yankees in five. Uh, what a homer! Can you can you believe this, Mark? I, uh, no. But I'm actually going to offer the worst prediction for the Orioles out of all three of us, because I feel like it's just going to end up being Yankees in four. Uh, I think the Orioles will win a game in front of the home crowd, and that will be pretty awesome and exciting. Mm-hmm. And then I just think the uh, the starting pitching matchups will grind them down. I don't know. Gonzalez. Well, here's... here's- do I like Gonzalez? Maybe I like Gonzalez. Maybe I would say Yankees in five if I think the Orioles can steal one in New York. I, me. Here's here's kind of the the question under the question for for you guys. If obviously if it goes uh, 02 or 20 to New York, that team becomes a pretty heavy favorite, whichever team is up. But if it is one one going to New York, so it's basically a best of three in New York. Uh, how does that sort of change your opinion on on the series? Does it make it that, like, kind of a, a gimme to the Yankees? Or or what? Well, here's an interesting thing that some one of the Orioles media was talking about this year. The, uh, the road team in the Orioles-Yankees series this year was 6-3 and three for both. When the Orioles were in New York, they were 6-3. and three. When the Yankees were in Baltimore, they were 6-3. and three. So... I mean, we're only talking nine games I mean, each well, year, yeah, so right. what does that what is matter? That? But, but something else to consider about the Yankees is the Yankees are the only team to beat the Orioles in extra innings this year. With the, That's uh, right, yeah. With the of two course, losses uh, back-to-back and early in the season. Yeah. So they've, got, they've possibly got that going for them. Except, I mean, that was literally a different Orioles team. So what does it matter? I don't know. But it was also the Yankees that broke the uh, the one-run game streak. Mm-hmm. They lost 4-3 to three to the Yankees on September the 1st. So that's like, that's another one. 
where they just like got that number. You can't just count on that stuff. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, Andrew. I don't know. I hope it'll be fun. <laughs> well, that's true. I hope it'll be fun. I think it will be. But it won't be fun if they lose, but it'll be fun as we've as we've talked about several times. It will be fun eventually looking back on all of this. And uh that'll be enough eventually. Yeah, it's been special. Right now. Yeah, if if we don't have the chance to to do a podcast for the ALCS. Um it, do, it doesn't take away from what they've done so far at all. Yeah. But let's hope this is not our final word on the season. I don't believe it will be. It is our final word for tonight because you've been listening to us for plenty long already. We've been talking plenty long already, and uh, it's time to go do other things. But the Orioles are in the playoffs still. And you know what? That's still awesome. It's going to continue being awesome for as long as it's true. So that's all we've got for Canvan Cast this evening. My name is Mark Brown. I was joined by Andrew Gibson. Andrew, I'm sorry you're yeah. missing the playoff games. I promise I will drink lots of wheat <laughs> well, as well. You know, I'm I'm busy. We're putting together the uh, the Bill James Handbook, um, and that's really cool in its own right. I made some choices, and I'm missing out on in-person playoff fun, but I don't regret it for a second. So. Now I'll get to go see the ALCS in Baltimore. There you go. If they got to get that far for Andrew to get back there, so do it. Do it for Andrew Gibson, guys. That's all. Yeah, do it for me. Come on. And of course, we also had Tanya Bondurant with us. Tanya, thank you for humoring our our, our absurdities, uh, offering some Yankee insight tonight, and really giving us your time. Because hopefully everybody learned something from you. Because I learned, I learned things, and uh, we can all. We can all be a little bit less Homer looking towards the series as a result of this. And that's good. That's good for everybody. So mm-hmm. thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Tanya. And again, I am Mark Brown. We're bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland. And we are out.